This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. I think what's what's become clearer certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business you know you could be super lucky you your game is an instant hit it's resonating with users but for when that's not the case uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level that's where we come in so we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zella, VP of Marketing at Iron Source. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Welcome everybody to Twig 146. Today's up today's news. We're going to talk about a VR update from Eric Kress. We're going to talk about App Annie's latest mobile games report and one of Suford's articles. With every time you post an article, there's explosions or it's some kind of abysmal death. Uh, in this one, we're going to talk talk about uh, is App Store regulation too little, too late? So exciting topics. How's everybody doing? We were talking about gyms, my favorite topic. All good on my side. I've just been a little bit triggered lately with uh, a few things going on, including VR and and kind of this misleading statements out there about what's going on with the App Store and iOS. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that today. Mm -hmm. um, or, yeah. Anyway, how about you guys? Adam, you've been very quiet so far. Yeah, because you're just talking about gyms the whole time. Why do I care about <laughs> this shit? <laughs> you got to get old like me, dude. Then it matters, but uh, I'm just, I'm just lazy. I just do my Peloton. That's it. All I need. Uh, do you like Peloton? Uh, yeah. It, it just, I can switch off my brain. Somebody yells at me to tell, tell me to do shit and then I'm done. It's, it's your, who's your favorite, who's your favorite instructor? I know. No, um, no, actually, I don't like, yeah, she's not good. Um, she's too much. It's, it's the girl from New York. Um, uh, that actually came from uh, Jen, Jen, don't Jen, think it's Jen. Don't think it's Jen. <laughs> I don't know their names. I just call oh, them I'm pretty sure it's Dude, Jen. All I gotta say is that Jen, Jen, Jen Sherman. It's Jen Sherman. Jen Sherman. See the reason with the with with the New Jersey accent. Nope, that's not it. No, no the reason the Peloton works is because these beautiful people are telling you to get off your fat ass and start moving. You know, make make shit happen, dude. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> have you guys been? <laughs> all right. Have you been to Soul Cycle? Yep. No. I have, it was incredibly I, I, embarrassing and I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I will, I, I'll talk about this too. I guess we'll have to bring this up. So here's my thing about working out, right? Mm -hmm. As, as, as a flabby old guy, right? Is that when you go into these gyms or these soul cycles or whatever, 
it's super freaking intimidating, right? Because all these guys are super jacked and they're like lifting all this weights and grunting and whatever. It's like humiliating, right? You go in there and you're lifting your little like 20 pound weights. <laughs> it's just embarrassing, right? My big turnaround was going to the Olympic club, right? With a bunch of older guys, right? And I swear to God, if you go to the Olympic club at Lakeside, it is like 70, 75 years old is the average, right? So I'm, <laughs> I am the youngest and the most buff person there, dude. It is freaking liberating, dude. It's like, it's like, I feel like Adonis, you know, like I'm actually the man out there. So these other guys, these old guys are like, their balls are hanging to the floor. They're like flabby just everywhere. And, and even though I do not look that good with my shirt off, I look a crap ton better than the rest of them. And that is invigorating and, it, you know, makes me more engaged. It makes me continue to go. So that's kind of my thinking. So as you get older, don't join those stupid freaking Equinox gyms or these crazy ass expensive gyms with all these really way too good looking people. You got to go for the older crowds, man. So you look better. That's what, that's my key to success. That's one strategy. Uh, we were just talking about like my, my strategy of grace, you know, gracefully growing old was going to the most going for that. <laughs> this is what the, the you have. The, you have the complete opposite strategy as me, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm just too insecure. You know, I need, I need, I need that kind of level of a uh, of uh, reinforcement. All right, moving on. Obviously, it is a slow news week. Mm -hmm. I, I was creating shit to talk about, but let's uh, let's keep going. Let's go. All right, let's let's run into the update. So, Unity revenues rise up by two hundred seventy-four millions, but the losses remain high. So, the financial results for the second quarter were reporting forty-eight percent increase in revenue year on year, reaching that two seventy-three. The loss from operations was still pretty high. It was one hundred, almost like one hundred and fifty million representing 55% of all revenue. The loss was also on the rise compared to the Q1. It was, it was, it actually increased by 40 million compared to the Q1. Jesus. Yeah. But this was 11th consecutive quarter during which the revenue grew uh, by at least 30%. So they're, they're pretty much killing it. And then we've been talking about ads business a lot in terms of unity and uh, 183 million of all revenues came from ads, which represents 67% of all revenues. And that amount of revenue actually increased by 63% compared to 2020. The company also announced the acquisition of remote desktop streaming solution Parsec for 320 million. And based on my five minute, ana five minute analysis, they are working very hard to diversify their business away from ads. But it is quite interesting that they in a way, beat around the bush when they talk about ads because they hide it under operate um, under the operate solutions group. They don't talk, you know, directly about ads, but operate solutions. So, so they still don't break out ad revenue. They're just that's part of the what well, you yeah. you reported the operate group, not not ads. Okay, yeah. but um, apparently, well, like to my understanding and to understanding at least the uh, the analyst report that I read, they kind of say that that's all ads, pretty much. Got it. So they're still cheating. Right. So if, if, if they if, if Apple starts blocking fingerprinting, these guys are going to be in big trouble is what I would guess. But uh, we'll get to that in a bit. Well, Eric, you were about to say something and then you remembered that you're too close to Unity. No, I don't. So you, Unity. I, so first of all, it's hard to say that any of these companies are fingerprints. You can't. I don't know that you could say that any one of these companies is fingerprinting. There's fingerprinting happening. But I my my I don't want to I wouldn't want to. Okay, let's edit this whole let's yeah. edit, this. edit, 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 edit. I, I think I, I like that portion. So beating around the bush and not even going to the bush. So Eric didn't say anything. All right. So let's talk about Crafton. So Crafton shares closed 9% down after PUBG Makers IPO. So they got a little bit green. They tumbled down by 20% before recovering and they were out, they were down by 8.8%. The valuation was nearly $20 billion. And there's a there's a quote on GameSpeed of a banking expert who says massively overpriced for one franchise asset. <laughs> so <laughs> at the same time, I mean, we know PUBG is doing extremely well, but it's attacked by multiple franchises on all platforms. For example, Garena Free Fire just uh, tweeted that they reached a peak DAU of 150 million up from 100 million DAU reported back in May. And of course, this was a spike, but still, these are some outrageous numbers. The new PUBG new state, based on a quick glance, of course, I haven't played it, 
seems to be kind of like the same game, but looks better. Uh, and the question is like, does it reach new audience or is it more kind of catering to the same audience? At the same time, so you got the Call of Duty, you got the new Call of Duty, you got the Apex Legends, you got uh, Battlefield, you got so many new PvP shooters coming out that there's there's definitely a pressure. Also, you have to remember that PUBG is published by Tencent on mobile, so they probably take a, a nice, nice cut out of that. Yet, I looked at the Grafton stock today and it was up. And above the IPO, so I guess they weren't too greedy. I, I think they were. They were. They were on the money. Any comments on on Crafton? Good luck. All right. Well, that's <laughs> okay. So moving on to games news. So uh, next games has soft launched Stranger Things Puzzle Tales game. We've been covering Netflix a lot, and then this is kind of like. It's not their first game, but it's definitely one of the first ones. It's a puzzle RPG, very much in the style of of Empires and Puzzles. I think the art styles is really, really great. I think they have a really fun and solid narrative on this game. I was playing it a little bit, a couple of days now, and I think there's a little bit of a risk of IP mismatch. So it is a collection RPG game. And as we know, for any RPG, and especially the ones where you collect a lot of characters, it requires a large set of desirable characters. Now, I pulled some gotcha in this game, and my first gotcha was Benny Hammond. And I had to actually Google this guy. And he, according to the <laughs> fandom, he's a reoccurring character in the first season. He was the owner and chef of Benny Burgers, a diner located on 4819 Randolph Lane in Hawkins. I wasn't too happy about this poll. I, I find that the uh, the cast is quite narrow for, for a proper proper collection RPG. And in my opinion, if, you, if you're doing an RPG style of a game, it might have been more interesting to look at something like Best Fiend style of a super light RPG with a wider audience. But nevertheless, they went a little bit more hardcore. And as a shareholder of Next Games, I wish them only the best because our interests <laughs> align. But I am a little bit worried also as a shareholder of this game. It's, it's got like a 3.2 rating on the, on the App Store. That's not good out of the, out of the box. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. But again, it's Empires and Puzzles. And, and it's just a question like, does Empires and Puzzles puzzles work in the uh, in the world of stranger things but the execution is really good really love the art style really love what they've done overall oh but this hasn't launched yet though has it no it no like it's, it's a it's soft launch it's a soft launch uh, it looks horrendous already dude oh, you say that about <laughs> everything uh anyway so no just, dude look at i don't say that about everything dude okay stop it i'm a shareholder let's let's wish for the best anyways <laughs> Plarium launches Mech Arena. They have been in soft launch for almost two years. And this is clearly a game that is meant to challenge war robots by, uh, I think it was called Pixonic. We did a podcast with them uh, a while back. And uh, war robots has reached 500 million in lifetime revenues, doing extremely great, challenged uh, World of Tanks and actually beat and, and had the market taken from them. So the Mech Arena- Former client of mine. Uh, a what? Former client of mine. Ah, former client of, of Suford, so hence... Ahead of their sale. Set them up for M&A. <laughs> yeah. But I do have to say, I've been playing War Robots a lot, and the War Robots is very kind of like a dystopian-looking game and, and definitely hasn't aged maybe the uh, the best. Mech Arena is fun. Well done. A bit more faster sessions, much smaller arena. You kind of don't get the scale of the robots. But it is fun after a few days. I like the uh, the meta game. I, I, I like the uh, the core gameplay. Going to play it a little bit more. Anyways, hoping that, that this game does well. Hoping that Plarium does well. And yeah, that's that's my updates. Yeah, this one looks a little bit more interesting, but not enough data to really make any call. All right. Well, if they, quick... if, they're, you know, if they really want to soar, they should contact me. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a, a quick update on Exola. And just to remind you, this is when the CFO basically fired or allegedly fired 150 people because of some some you know algorithm technology that was tracking how their how what their activity levels were during covid and as work at home <laughs> so and then he had this crazy quote where you work your ass your fucking ass off or you get your fucking ass out that that was just to remind you so again they're friends of the podcast. So I talked to Chris Hewish uh, about this and, and he was more apologetic. He didn't really try to explain it away. It was actually really just poor form, generally speaking, but to be, he wanted to just clarify a few things that I, I think it is a little bit interesting. So the tool was meant to inform, not act, right? So it was meant to like uh, show what the activities were, right? And ultimately HR and the managers were supposedly 
going to use that information and, and discuss it with the employees. And that's actually what ended up happening. And only about half of those people were actually let go in, in that way, because many of the other Many of them were had other activities that were critical in other ways, just you know, not on the activity side. The CEO clearly jumped the gun, like sending out the email before consulting with the managers was very bad, but he's a very passionate entrepreneur and he's like still kind of wants the company to feel like a startup, right? And and the quote working or whatever and and and, and or get that hell out, right? He used this language in a tweet, which also is bad form, but it is kind of a catchphrase that he uses. And it was actually an offhand remark reference to some social media thing. Some really popular, famous Russian entrepreneur used this, this language. So he kind of like adopted it for himself. <laughs> so it, it was bad, but it wasn't as bad as you might think, right? And again, they, the company hired a lot of people that were redundant during the pandemic that became redundant. And there's also the reason that this actually thing blew up a little bit more than it would have for you know something that happened in Russia is that... Evidently, culturally, Russia Russians are, are getting very, very concerned about computers and 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 machines taking over jobs. That's kind of a hot issue in that in that region. And so this was like kind of more further fueling that. So anyway, basically, the, G, the CEO jumped the gun, sending out this email. The tool went was meant to inform, not used to fire people, and they're going to put in put things in place to avoid this in the future. So that's what my first update. Look at you now. Every time there's a news, just just call Eric Crest right away, and he'll he'll uh, he'll offer a, a company perspective in the next. Hey, I, I I'm still waiting for Apple to respond to all my negative juju, right? But yeah. no, I, I haven't heard boo from them. Message for you. It's 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 it's. An- and evidently, the guy who was running Arcade has moved on too, which was really fascinating. Anyway, so. The other, the final fantasy update, my crack fiendishness has now subsided. I am level capped. I am uh, until the next expansion in November in which I'll be off for off the radar for a few weeks. I'm just settling in, doing a few dailies and a few weeklies every day, messing around with other classes, but we should get this back to a normal, relatively healthy behavior of like 10 to 20 hours a week which is still super unhealthy, but that's the way we roll. And so there's no need to call anybody on a psych ward or something to, to, to put me in or anything. I'm good. Too predictable, Eric. You're too predictable. I'm I know. You, you called it, it, Adam. You called it. <laughs> Once I got there, I'm like, why? What am I doing? What am I doing? No. If there's no number going up, like all you need is like the idle version of an MMO and then you'd be addicted forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you got you to you do what you got to do, right? All right. So this is a bit of a rant, but I, 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 we haven't really talked about VR for a while. And I, I just wanted to, I, I make this mistake and joining these calls, BWG, and they have like a bunch of industry experts that are on these calls that talk about either a company or about like an industry. And this one was about VR. And it was just a bunch of pundits that are just all like all in, right? You know, their companies, everything they're doing is, is related to VR. And so unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to talk because I was probably the only person that would have like actually been objective in the call. But anyway, so it totally triggered me. And I just want to make, make clear on my perception of VR right now. First of all, make no mistake, VR died. It died a very, very quick death when it was first released by, by Oculus, right? But Facebook, a worldwide pandemic, Quest 2 brought it back to life, right? Get out the paddles, get that heart going again. But we are still on life support for for VR. Without Facebook, VR would have gone away, fundamentally, I think, anyway. And look, I think Facebook is an amazing, amazing, big, huge company, and it is a very expensive life support system. And so they will continue to support VR for the next decade because you know, as the form as the form factor changes, as AR systems are developed and deployed, but without Facebook, dead in my opinion. Anyway, so trying to be a little bit objective, the fact is that Quest has been an amazing device. In Quest Two, right, over ten million units likely have been sold. That's not nothing to sneeze at, right? Facebook is clearly in to win it. Like you cannot get Zuckerberg off a off a off a presentation without talking about AR VR um, going nuts on it, right? So he's not giving up anytime soon. So that's good. I still think that social is the biggest opportunity here. You know, building out social experiences will likely be the key to success to build out big audiences. You know, rec room and other things like that, like VR chat, et cetera, will will be kind of the must-have experiences, I think, going forward. But we're just not there there yet, right? Because 
even though consumer demand was very, very strong during the global pandemic, right? And the release of a great device per se, engagement has fallen across the board in video games, generally speaking, but for VR, it's gotta be the worst. And I think, you know, during Adam has some stats from Steam charts that kind yeah, of support yeah, I, that. I took a look at this just to double check it. And yeah, Steam charts corroborates this. So looking at like VR titles on Steam, most have less than a hundred CCU, right? Like that, that pretty much implies very, very little DAU. And like Alex, Half-Life Alex, I think would be the peak of what you'd expect on Steam VR. That's less than 400. Last I checked. The top game is actually VR chat, which had like 16,000 CCU, right? Which is great, but it's actually, like it's just a mod-based chat server that doesn't mandate VR at all. So I'm assuming most people don't really use VR. The name's just misleading. So you're right. I, I double checked this. Engagement does not look good on VR. No, and so I think people are completely overestimating the the notion that yes, people were in, engaged during the pandemic, and 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 the ecosystem was was vibrant, but people are extrapolating that to insane levels, and you know forecasts are going up. V, you know even even VCs are getting more and more more interested or, or engaged, but there there are just a very few standout titles that like Super Hot, Walking Dead, and Beat Saber. These volumes, even even with the pandemic, were, have been relatively low, with the exception of Beat Saber, which did quite well. But I don't really see these vol, even the volumes during the pandemic, justifying big investment from bigger developers, right? And so, and there's no killer app right now. You know, Beat Saber is kind of close, but it's still, I think you need a social game that inspires consumers and influencers to get involved. And the other thing is, it's really hard to share experiences in VR, which is kind of critical to what's going on on the in the ecosystem right now, and. Again, without a significant install base and the 10 million inactive users is not significant, you're not going to get the development resources allocated to build the killer app. And again, Mike Verdu leaving to Netflix is not a good look. You know, he was pretty, pretty instrumental in, into building their efforts to attract developers, et cetera. But I'm sure they have a deep staff there and they'll continue to support it. Right. But I guess what it comes down to is there's fundamental problems with VR that 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 seem seem almost impossible to overcome to some cases that consumers really don't consume content this way. You know, they, they want immersive experiences. Don't get me wrong, but they don't want it at the exclusion of all other things, right? This is a multitasking generation, right? Using the phone, playing computer, watching TV, right? And you need content that is super compelling to change that behavior, which is not easy, right? And AR in general is a much better fit with this current generation, in my, my opinion, not to exclude all other things you can play and and be part of the world right and again the value proposition for the consumer is is not there with vr it's like they're used to getting a hundred hour experience for 60 bucks not a two-hour experience in vr and it's really hard to build a business model for 20 to 30 dollars per products in hd given how expensive it is to build so the console is a much better value proposition for the consumer and it, to go a little bit deeper here, what makes consoles so freaking compelling is that you have hundreds of games coming out every year to support the platforms and maintain engagement. You have tentpole titles, FIFA, Madden, Call of Duty, Assassins, and, and then big longer term titles like GTA, Elder Scrolls coming out on a regular basis to keep people engaged. And this is absolutely critical to building a sustainable platform, but you will never see this with VR until like the bigger publishers get on board that have the resources to, to you know, iterate as much as they do. And again, the big 30 third party developers are not going to support a platform without the big install base. Hell, they're not even supporting the switch, right? For ob other obvious reasons, but the consumer will, will not come on board without compelling content delivered frequently, right? And it won't make sense for third parties to build games unless they're getting insane amounts of money for Facebook. So for me, this seems like a five to 10 year thing at best and may ultimately the only way it's going to be successful, I think, is if they combine AR, VR, build social experiences, and the amount of money that Facebook is going to, to spend on this project is going to be staggering to keep this thing going, in my opinion, right? Um, now, I'm not going to speak to the VR stuff that, 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 that on the enterprise level. That's something completely different. I'm more, more focused on the consumer side. So I just, wanted to, I just wanted to get that out there. Any other thoughts on this, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think just if, when you when you talk about the amount of money they're going to spend, I mean, they they are dedicated to spending that. I mean, I think that they are in 
they do see this as like their long-term, you know, strategic imperative is to transition a lot of that social engagement, not, not necessarily over to VR, but I think they see VR as like one touch point, right? It's like one form factor that you can use to sort of plug into this, this sort of, this sort of new kind of content pool that they want to create that they're, they're calling the metaverse, but that's not really what it is, right? It's just a, you know, persistent Facebook that exists off of, off of Apple and, and off of the app store and Google play. That's really what they want to create, but that, that, but that's not necessarily even tied to like the web interface. Right. And so like you've got portal, you've got VR, and then they've just got to come up with like a couple other touch points to create that, like, you know, kind of multi form factor, like all day, every day, part-time, full-time, you know, while you're watching movies, you know, or dedicated interaction profile that, that people demand. Right. Cause no one, you know, putting on a set of glasses and playing a game for 30 minutes, that's not the next Facebook. That can't be. There's just not enough engagement there. But having that be one piece of like your daily interaction with, with Facebook that, that spans like three to four different hardware interfaces, that could be. And I feel like that's what that when they, say, when they talk about metaverse, or, I mean, they're really just sort of like co-opting that buzzword, but that's what they mean. They mean that, you know, we've got to get off the app store. We've got to get off Android and we'll find ways to do that, you know, with these other uh, sort of initiatives. I think one, one thing that like really sharpened my thinking around Facebook's plans here was uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, apparently face, Facebook was considering buying Unity a couple years ago. And uh, like many, like, like, in, I think, I don't remember when it was, but it was five, six years ago. And Mark Zuckerberg wrote a letter to like, or an email, like a memo to his, his top lieutenants. And he was talking about like, just the need to shift off of these platforms they don't own. And it totally has, you know, it, it, it totally explains the playbook that they've taken the last few years. And I think it, it really helps to understand what playbook they'll use in the next couple of years going forward. I cop, I, I quoted from it in an article I wrote called, is VR the bear case for Facebook that I published like in March, but I, I quoted pretty heavily from it. I, if people are interested, they can go find it there. But you know, I mean, I basically make the same case that you're making, Eric, that this is not a big market. This is not a big revenue opportunity. There's got to be something else here. VR, VR, I think is just one component of it. Right. And I, I just, you know, we have some friends, deconstructor fund groups and stuff that are involved in VR and stuff. And we see some re- people moving that direction. I just would be, you know, buyer beware, right? Like ask Facebook, what is the active install, install base right now of the 10 to 12 million units that are out there between the two devices? Sorry, I'm just totally blanking, but because that's your addressable market, right? And, <laughs> and can you make a business work over the long term on that? I don't know. It's like it's scary, you know, but anyway, but I, I, the thing is that I freaking love VR. I think it's freaking amazing. It's an amazing experience. I just can't wait so you can fucking get a jack in the back of your head and plug shit in, dude, and just live, you know, in a different life. I, mean, I think it's awesome, right? The idea of it's incredible. Yeah, and AR is incredible too, but we are so far freaking away from this. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy. And people are talking like it's like around the corner, you know? Anyway, and, and the forecasts are going out there too. I'm sure Newzoo will have something soon, right? That would be ridiculous. All right, <laughs> All right. moving on. Inspired. All right, uh, let's talk about App Annie's mobile games report uh, that says mobile games are on track to surpass $120 billion in 2021. App Annie's basically released this very extensive, really cool report breaking down everything into genres and subgenres. And they're showing that uh, in their prediction, the market will grow by 20% to over 100 billion. And all right, let me go through the uh, some of the points that I gathered here. So the growth was on track, despite the comparison to 2020, when the well, the pandemic hit and the, uh, the engagement went significantly up. And the fact that IDFA hit us in 2021, Abani is still saying this is on, on track for growth. At the same time, we know that Zynga reported in its earnings last week that IDFA was having a big effect in its business performance. And it also warned its second half bookings could be down by $100 million as a result. Brian Bowman, who's been on VentureBeat and, and, and in recently in Game Maker's podcast talking about IDFA deprecation, so Brian Bowman, who is the CEO of Consumer Acquisition, also said that IDFA has hurt iOS revenues by decreasing them by, by about 15 to 20% or even more. Now, the effect of IDFA is not same across all markets and across all categories, according to App Annie. They basically say that the, uh, the effect, as we've, we've been saying before, would be most significantly hit to the whale-driven games, so strategy games, casino games, RPGs. And they're actually reporting that puzzle and action subgenres have grown installs by 16% in puzzle and 37% in action from the first half of 2020, respectively. It says that the level of spending and downloads has decreased, but did not drop back down to pre-pandemic levels. 
Uh, they're saying that more people are choosing to play on mobile devices because they are more accessible and instantly playable. In And also they're stating that high-end PC or expensive game consoles are very short on supply. So essentially people are opting in on that console in their pocket. And they also mentioned that China has surpassed US in spending and is the, uh, the largest market. Now, my take on this. So COVID is not over. I mean, in California, everybody's wearing a mask, even though there is no lockdowns. We're still talking about plenty of restrictions around the world. Many are very uncomfortable of going out and hanging out with their kids in, in various places. And the habits that have changed during the couple of years, it will take a it will take a while before before people readjust to this, to, to the fact that the pandemic is over. And also it doesn't help that. So the predictions for this one, you know, we, we talked about that hyper casuals and overall games with in-app badge would, would suffer. The lack of targeting with IDFA that would lead to reduced spend on marketing that would lead into drop of CPMs would be actually seen directly in their in their ad monetization data. We also talked about that the limitations on campaigns, you know, Eric has talked about this to, to exhaustion on mobile dev memo, that will lead to not only to reduction of, of effective acquisition, but never, definitely reduction in IPM. And through that increase of CPI, and as we know with these games, because they have relatively short lifetime, it's very important for them to, to really beat that, that CPI by a low margin and through that scale. And then we, we talked about that the games that are modest in DAU and high with average revenue per paid users, those will be the ones with, to suffer because Facebook's VO campaigns are out. The whale hunting is much, much more difficult. So I, I, I kind of looked at our previous predictions and started looking at sensor tower data and comparing the U.S. downloads as well as the U.S. revenue of August 2020 to July 2020. So a month year ago to a month today. So based on that, we can see that in terms of downloads, yes, the RPGs are down by about 23%. The strategy, surprisingly, is up by 38%. And hyper-casual installs are only down by 5 No, No big you know, turmoil there. I looked at the revenue data and RPGs, very stable. Strategy was actually up by 13%. And hyper-casual revenue data was actually up by 32%. And this is likely because, because of the trend of a hybrid casual and, and a lot of these games are adding more in-app purchases. I also compared iOS to Google and the numbers look very similar. Uh, and the hypothesis there is that the, um, that the, the hypothesis, hypothesis there was that if iOS becomes more difficult, the installs would increase on, on Google Play but that hasn't, at least according to the data that I was looking at, hasn't happened yet. So my question to you guys kind of is like, will the hyper-casual continue to reign because they're already over 30% of all installs and actually increasing? Will the revenue on iOS start sliding down because the installs are decreasing? And, and will the revenues on Google Play start going up? What do you guys think? Dude, I don't know what data you're looking at, dude, but that is not what I'm seeing oh. at all. Like year to date, like it is a it is a shit show right now in terms of downloads. If you look at US, iOS, or even go Google Play, it's not a pretty picture, right? And I think iOS, you know, first of all, I think hypercasual will and ultimately die, right? They can try to add monetization features within there. I just don't think that's gonna be a thing. I think iOS will continue to slide, particularly when they start, you know, stopping the cheaters from using fingerprinting, you know, across across the ecosystem. You know, Google Play will that do better maybe, but there's only a limit of how many, <laughs> the market is not changed, right? You can't just throw spend against Google and expect to get better returns when it's just a limited market size, right? It's not, nothing has changed from that perspective, right? And so what's crazy is I'm starting to hear that Apple is uh, realizing their crimes, right? They have committed and they're seeing a drastic reduction in traffic on their stores, particularly in the US. and. And in order to fight that or stave it, they may actually allow fingerprinting to stop the bleed. You know, it's like so freaking ironic because the whole point of this thing was to was to help with consumer privacy. But it was hugely hypocritical if they just allowed fingerprinting to continue because that's but that's par for the course. They do what's best for Apple. Right. But I'm looking at this analysis and iOS downloads were down like 20 percent year to date, which obviously includes the COVID impact. Casino is fucking brutal, dude. It's down like 46% year to date on iOS, right? Puzzles down 23, shooters down 40. The only thing up is strategy and action, which is which is bringing up the overall, you know, numbers down up to 19. But I and this is really before the impact of IDFA, right? We don't we you know, we'll see this more going forward in August, September, etc. Well, but what's the percentages for revenue? You're looking specifically at downloads though. I'm looking what? at downloads because that's a 
uh, a predictor, leading indicator, of, yeah, a leading indicator of revenue, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not acknowledge. I will acknowledge that de- revenue is fine, but like traffic to their stores is declining, right? Like fundamentally, right? It's like, I mean, it is what it is, right? You can't really deny that, but you know, maybe may, we will see. But but what what I'm actually hearing from some people is that I think Apple may be a little bit in trouble here for once, right? Right, where. They have put the line in the sand for the sake of privacy, and they built that positioning to the consumer to focus on privacy. And through you know backlash from tech companies like Google and Facebook, publishers like everybody, <laughs> government agencies in foreign and domestic are coming after them. Epic lawsuits, right? And and in the next six to twelve months, they may actually get pressure to open up the store if legislation starts to get passed, and then they're really fucked, right? So. And, and ultimately, this is a this is a result of their hubris and their mistreatment of all the people, partners over the years, the whole ecosystem and being this 800 pound gorilla. But when you have like 100 coyotes coming after you, you're going to lose. Right. And so this potentially has a huge impact on the stock because the whole story on Apple right now is building up the software as a service. Right. And, and getting away from you know, the and, and building that business. And opening up the, the ecosystem of third party would be just a really, really bad, bad juju for them. So, so I don't know. They're, I think they, they are potentially at risk here because of, and it's just a result of what they have done, right? They've kind of brought this upon themselves to some degree, but we'll see how this all unfolds. You know, what, what, what could happen is they start pulling back and they start to realize that, you know, you know, all right, let's, let's let fingerprinting, let's let do like help the ecosystem. But I don't know. I think I think I think there's some risks here for them in the in the near term and midterm. Well, so. I, so, so there's a couple of things. One is you, you've got to you got to kind of keep in mind what, what what does fingerprinting allow you to do? Fing, fingerprinting doesn't preserve everything that the IDFA allowed for. Fingerprinting basically all that is is the MMP lets you attribute a user's install to. Uh, a campaign, but that's it. It doesn't pass. It, there's no round trip. They don't. They don't send that back to the ad network so that they can sort of know that they got that install. And then, and then that's that's also it's it ends there. It's just at the install. It's not subsequent events, which really was the power of these algorithms and these systems was that they get this constant stream of events to know, hey, that was a good user. Now they just know, hey, I gave you a user and, and actually only the advertiser knows that. So they can use that to, they can, they can use that to sort of price their bids, but, but th- that, that data wasn't, the fingerprint doesn't allow, allow that data to get passed by the ad network so that they know that they even got that user into the game or the app and, 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 and use that to sort of update their models. And then the, the second wrinkle here is that Facebook just said, well, we're not gonna allow the MMPs to pass anything but aggregated data anyway. Right, because they're gonna they're gonna end their they're gonna end their program that that allowed for that. So so now the MMPs can only pass this aggregated data to 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 they'll they'll get the the user level data from Facebook, but they won't be able to pass it at, on a user level to the to the developer to, to the to the to the app developer and so the avatar the advertiser. So now so now this is kind of like out on Facebook anyway. So like fa- Facebook wasn't doing fingerprinting anyway because they couldn't, but but. Now Facebook's not going to allow you to get user level data from Facebook. So, so fingerprinting really was only um, kind of relevant for like non-Facebook, non-Google networks anyway. And now, you know, Facebook is restricting that sort of user level access for, you know, the opted in traffic on iOS and Android. So now like for Facebook across the board, not just on iOS 14 opt out users, but across the board, Android, all Android, all iOS users, you won't be able to get that user level data to do like those, those bid models. So like, fingerprinting is it's i think it's kind of like it's 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 made to seem like more substantive than it is first of all and second you know it was not relevant on facebook in the first place and and now facebook's restricting that user level data altogether across android and ios and i do believe apple's going to crack down on fingerprinting my what i've heard and this is sort of like unsubstantiated rumor is that they're going to start doing that with ios 15 but you know because because they are they are sort of preventing that from happening on the web, starting from iOS 15 with the private relay. So my understanding, what I've heard, and again, I'm substantiating a rumor, but I've heard that they're going to start cracking down on it with iOS 15. So I don't, I don't think Apple looks at it this way. I don't think they see that maybe like a, a fallen downloads as being like detrimental to the ecosystem in the long run, because if they, again, if they put, if that, if that's what happens on the ad side, the demand for games doesn't go away. People's desire to play games go away. So, so then what do they do? Well, then they, and as I've been saying all along, they revert to the app store as that 
that source, that store, the distribution, the point of distribution. And so the app store just starts grabbing onto that distribution uh, or sort of like increasing its, its sort of importance as that, as that source of distribution. And then it's, that's great for Apple because Apple gets to decide which apps people download. Right. So I think in the long in the long run, this still could be really good. For, this still could sort of like promote this idea that, hey, this is going to help Apple's services revenue because they get to decide who's the winner and who's the loser. Right. Versus the ad networks that did that previously. Right. And I'll, I'll defer to you on the fingerprinting stuff, because uh, frankly, I'm a moron when it comes to that stuff. But what I will say is that that, that the uh, you that. They, but they have opened themselves up to so much criticism across the board. They have all these people coming after them. The wagons are circling. And if yeah. legislation gets passed that, that goes, opens up the app store, all this, all the activities that they've done to like fight privacy and to do all this idea based stuff is going to blow up in their face, you know, and, and they're well, going to get, they're going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, and, 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 and I, you know, that's a valid thesis at this point, because I don't think you, you can't stop these trains, right? Particularly when it comes to legislation from these idiotic senators, right? And so like, and then, and then Europe is like super, you know, vicious about this sort of thing too. And so I think, I think they set themselves up for this and, and, and we'll see how it all plays out, but it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I, and I think that just people don't talk about it because they're worried that Apple's going to come after them or something, right? You know, the Gestapo, you know? So, well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, like, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's the whole, that's the, I mean, part of it is like, no one's been talking about it because who can, right? If you're employed by an app developer, you're not going to go rail against Apple. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've been doing it, but I'm, you know, self-employed. I don't have to worry about my my boss coming and say, "Hey, stop, st- stop insulting Apple." We depend on them, right? Like, you know, and, and still, I think a lot of people just aren't even caught up with it. I mean, you know, you see people talking about IDFA, like, "Hey, I, I wonder," you know, "I bet IDFA is going to impact." Like, people are talking about IDFA, saying the same stuff that you know has been said for over a year at this point. Like, there, I don't think there's not there's like people are still way behind, like the kind of most like sort of like up-to-date status on on the impact in the industry and then and then you get you know some people that are just like sort of talking their book right i mean you get a lot of vendors yeah, right, talking right. their book and there's just like a lot of noise out there look my sense here overall the, the report is what the report is right there's obvious idfa impact through uh, 2021 we are higher than we were in our 2019 baselines so covid has impact um, so yes overall ios revenue is likely to slide with idfa likely being the larger culprit for this not covid and i think android revenue is actually a bit more of a toss-up i still agree with super that devs may shift budget focus to android and i don't think i i think that'll be single digit changes which actually might offset some of the covid bump declining but you, you talked about hyper casual being dead i think you should probably define what what we mean by that, right? Because it it just feels like a hyperbole at this point. And I don't see, while this is obviously points to hyper-casual contracting, I don't see it dying, right? Like I still see in SensorTower, there is a strong demand from players for simple pick-up and play experiences. So I just think there will always exist games that operate on the low end of the CPI LTV spectrum. And that's really what I would consider Hypercast. I just, I just like to say it, dude. You know me. Sure, it's, it's I know. You, you guys, you like your clickbaits. That's fine. Yeah, you, you got your hyperboles. That's fine. But I think, like overall, like hypercasual developers have done an extremely great job at rapid iteration of game, gameplay concepts and testing out IPMs and CPI means they actually can identify completely new segments of games like merge much faster than larger developers, right? It's obvious that hypercasual devs are hedging their bets and shifting more of their revenue towards in-app purchase. And I think looking for games that have that at low, low CPI, but have hooks into a deeper economy. And I think Eric, you kind of dismissed it, but I, I could still see stories like Graham happening. They found merge. And they built Merge Dragons, and then they're sold up to larger devs because they can actually have a strong business. I, I just think there's inherent risk in buying the network value and kind of the spiky DAO. I think that model has a lot of risks, and I would not invest in that. But I do um, believe in that kind of grand story. I still think hyper-casual devs are finding uh, very interesting genres that uh, developers should be taking a look at. But still, overall, the space will obviously contract, but it will not die. That's my perspective. I'm also not backing down from my sensor tower numbers. I, I double check them. So, Joe, uh, so are we going to have like a sensor tower off now? No, 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 Wait. no. It's uh, so I, I don't have access to App Annie. I would have. I'm not disputing at, at all any of their numbers. It's just uh, I was looking at the uh, the genre numbers in Sensor Tower, and I was specifically looking at Casino, and I don't see the uh, the significant drop. But 
but um, maybe I'm just, you know. I, are you looking at revenue? I'm personally looking at, uh, I'm looking at App Store, I'm looking Google Play, I'm looking downloads, and I'm looking revenue. So kind of both. Maybe can I can I do a quick PSA here because I've spoken to so many hedge fund investors in the last couple of weeks that are like, what are you talking about? IDFA is not having any impact. The Sensor Tower numbers are modeled, and I, I love Sensor Tower. It's awesome product. It's it's like having a Bloomberg terminal for uh, research into into any kind of mobile trend. But it they're modeled, and the models are based on a, a, a sort of like operating history that doesn't include IDFA deprecation, right? And so you got to take that into account, right? Right it, now. It, 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 they're sampled, right? And then modeled. I think, you know, the, uh, it's going to be hard to get good data on this stuff, especially in this kind of like early stages that we're in. I would talk to people. I would ask around, you know, also be wary of what people tell you because I'm hearing so many stories of like, oh, so-and-so at X company told me they're crushing it right now because IDFA deprecation was good for them or HT was good for them. I'm super skeptical of those stories, but just keep that in mind that the sensor tower data and the app data, all that data, not, not to single out sensor tower. Again, I think they're great. I use them all the time. It's just, it's, it's, it's sampled and then mo- and their models are built on the samples and the models haven't caught up with this change, which basically happened beginning of June. That makes a lot of sense. All right, move it on. Yeah. So, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a piece this week called is app store regulation too little too late. And basically the impetus for that last week, uh, a bipartisan bill titled the open app markets act was introduced in the Senate that would place new rules on the operation of app stores, mostly targeting distribution payments and competitive positioning. And then a couple of days after that, uh, a very similar bill was introduced in the house. Right. So the Senate bill, it's super short, just 10 pages. And I, I do a, a summary of it on, in my piece on, on Mobile Dev Memo, if you want to take a, take, a, take a read. But it basically covers payments, communications, so pay, you know, payment systems that, that, that the app stores allow app developers to use, any sort of you know, interference of, on communications between app developers and the users, the, the, the ability for app uh, stores to use non-public information to make decisions around apps that they publish or or create the interoperability, you know, between, you know, basically third-party apps and app stores on on operating systems when the company that runs that operating system also owns an app store. So influence on search rankings and then sort of access to, to development resources. The, the bill covers all that. And, and basically it's, it's just creating barriers for app stores to interfere with the operation of, of apps by app developers. That's what it is. And, 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 and sort of blocks the ability for app stores to, to tie a lot of, you know, their products and services to their app stores. So for instance, payments, right? With that, with the iOS app store, you're, you know, you can only make exclude, you can only make use of the iTunes payment system, right? This, this bill and, and specifically targeting that and intends to block that kind of behavior. Right. And so I think my sense and the thesis of it, you know, the, the thesis of my, my post is that this regulation is not going to have much of an impact on the app economy today. It would have been transformational five, 10 years ago. But today, think like behaviors are too ingrained and the default status of the App Store and Google Play on iOS and on Android is just too, it's just too powerful. It's, 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 it's too much of a sort of like natural use case for consumers and they probably won't sort of drift away from that right now there's a couple issues there's a couple kind of open questions from this legislation that i think are you know need to be answered before you know you can kind of do any sort of like thoughtful analysis on it the first is what is an app store because the 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 bill defines it in very vague terms one of the criteria for being a, a, co- a covered company, so a, co- a company for which these rules apply, is that you know the apps, this, these these sort of app stores, these storefronts have more than fifty million users in the U.S. Right. So I I can um, first let me kind of just read what their description of an app store is because I kind of skipped that. So the, the description they use, and it's, this is exactly this is you know verbatim from the bill. The term app store means a publicly available website, software application, or other electronic service that distributes apps from third-party developers to users of a computer, a mobile device, or any other general purpose computer computing device. And the definition of an app from the bill is the term app means a software application or electronic service that may be run or directed by a user on a computer, a mobile device, or any other general purpose computing device. So first of all, what's an app in this, in this definition? Well, is that it's pretty broad here. It, it, it doesn't have to be just software that's installed on the device, which is probably how you'd interpret or you'd understand an app to, to, to exist like when you're thinking about like a mobile app, right? So for instance, like a Roblox games apps. Well, it certainly sounds like it under this definition, right? Are YouTube videos apps? Well, I think you can make the case for that. Are Netflix videos apps? I think you can make the case for that. 
right? So the definition is very vague. And then App Store, you know, again, it's it's similarly vague. So is Roblox an App Store because Roblox content is, is are considered apps? Or is YouTube an App Store? I you know I think we all kind of accept that the App Store, the, the iOS App Store, is an App Store with these definitions. But but I think this could apply to a, a number of other sort of products um, and storefronts. Now, again, and going back to where I jumped the gun a little bit, Apple, you know. Or sorry, the, the the Senate bill defines a covered company as any app store that has more than 50 million users in the United States. Well, they're not very specific there either. Is that registered accounts or is that active users? And if it's active users, is it daily? Is it monthly? And now, you know, given these definitions, the, the, these rules apply to a lot more than just Google Play and, and the app store. They potentially apply to the PlayStation Network. The PlayStation Network has 113 million MAUs worldwide. Well, maybe 50 million of those are, are, are in the US and, and it doesn't say how many, and this is kind of old data. I couldn't find new data it's from August, 2020, but, but uh, you know, certainly that's a lot more registered accounts. And so depending on how the, the covered company definition applies in terms of that uh, 50 million, the PlayStation network could be a covered company. And so the, you know, the PlayStation store could be an app store. Valve, or sorry, Steam from Valve has a billion registered accounts. So surely at least 50 million of those are in the US. And so again, depending on the definition or how that 50 million is interpreted, Steam could be considered a covered or Valve could be considered a covered company because of Steam. And this could apply to Steam. And again, that data is from May 2019. I couldn't find more recent data. So it's probably a lot higher at this point. Right. So there's just some questions here around what 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 is an app store? What constitutes an app store? And and you know, how does that covered company criteria apply? And are these are these covered companies, Sony and, and Valve? The other thing is this, this, the bill gives pretty broad latitude for uh, these companies to not comply with the with the sort of new rules in the bill out of out of service to to protecting user privacy or preventing fraud. Well, those are the exact arguments that Apple is using now for defending its business practices and has have has used in the Epic lawsuit. So, like, I don't know what really changes. I mean, if 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 you can say, well, look, you know, all these all these provisions apply unless you're trying to protect users' privacy, in which case you can do whatever you want. Well, that's exactly what Apple's going to say. Like, that's exactly what you know, and 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 fraud and 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 just generally sort of like creating a closed sandbox for the consumer in their best interest. That's that's the entire sort of defense of of the the sort of app store business practices. So unless those are kind of firmed up, that these privacy carve outs, it's not sure how this is how how this could be impactful. But I think the biggest reason why this won't really be impactful is you know, and again, why this would have been really helpful five years ago, but probably doesn't change much now is that, you know, the biggest category winners, right, are already monetizing outside of iTunes, right? If, if you think about what the app store is and, 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 and the app economy, what, what that's comprised of, it's comprised of streaming services, it's comprised of utility apps that are sort of increasingly shifting to subscription business models, and it's comprised of games, right? Now, for the streaming services and the utility apps, the biggest category winners are already monetizing outside of iTunes. They're using subscriptions that are that are sort of done on the web, right? Net, you know, doesn't even have an in-app subscription mechanic. YouTube TV doesn't even have an in-app subscription. Spotify doesn't even have an in-app subscription. All that subscription is done on the web. So there already is kind of an alternative payment system for those the biggest category winners, right? The smaller companies that you'd expect this kind of bill to, to help more disproportionately than the bigger companies just as is the case with any sort of like bill related to competition, well, they're already paying 15% up to 1 million in, in IAP revenues. And they're already paying 15% on year one subs, right? So like what, what incentive do they have to switch to a, to an alternative system at, at their scale? And then when they grow big enough to be a category winner, they'll just switch to web onboarding, right? But, but you're not um, including, well, hold on, hold on. You're not including any of the big games. Like why would Supercell want to participate on the store when they could do direct payments to themselves? Yeah. Well, let me let me finish. So that so that covers two of the three basically segments of content in the app store. Now game now games are left right. So games yes, games would benefit from this, but you know that's they would benefit from these alternative payment systems and potentially a third party app store. But would consumers would consumers benefit from those things? Who cares? Because, well, no, because you have to get consumers to adopt those things in order. Well, you don't for have the, to. No, no, no. Okay, all right. Maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding this whole thing because my whole thing was not necessarily app store changes. The whole idea was that if you're in Supercell's game, you're playing Clash of Clans and you buy something, you don't go to iTunes, you go to their own system. So it's completely seamless 
to the consumer. No, no, it's not. It's not seamless because you still. I have got my my credit card is input into my iTunes account. If I want to buy something in Supercell right, game, right. I double I double click the power button. That's it. It's so fast. If I want to buy something with Supercell's new payment system, which is allowed, let's say that this bill gets passed, which is allowed under the provisions of this new bill, I've got to input my credit right. card. That's friction. I agree. All right, I, I get the friction. I get that point. But the, my point and what what we've been talking about with a lot of people is that because of the super like concentrated revenue streams from these big games like these fucking like crazy whales that are spending 100 grand or more you know million dollars or whatever they're in, they're going to be incentivized to move over right they're going to get more stuff from buying direct right and they, and you can you can and those people will move right so it may be friction for like the the low end consumer but not for the high end the high end will be well, incentivized why, to move over why would they be incentivized why would they get more stuff because that's they're what they would do you at a discount. They're out dude, if you're if you're saving thirty percent on every dollar revenue, dude, you're going to give them up, give up like 15 percent of, of of whatever yeah. you know. Of, of like the super sales story, it offers these these the passes right for twenty percent off of the typical VC. So that's still ten percent gained by Supercell. But for a high spender, yeah, absolutely, I'll go input my credit de- card details over there and only pay through that service because I mean, I'm getting so much more value, so much more VC per dollar. I mean, these are dedicated lunatics that are spending insane amounts of money on a, a regular basis. Like they're in it to win it, right? They're not like, this is not like some casual, like, uh, you know, kid, like a 12 year old that's like, you know, paying like $10 a month or something, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah. Okay. So, but uh, assuming that the friction just doesn't matter in some, you know, very small number of cases, this doesn't help new developers. This doesn't help smaller developers. Like you'd have to, yeah, you oh, have no. to be super cell, super cell level scale in order to pull that off. I still think that most people are going to default to the, just the native payment system that they have in iTunes. Cause it's the easiest thing to do. I press my power button twice. Yeah. No, but but no. most people, most developers versus the most revenue on the store. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about the number of users. We're talking about the amount of revenue, right? And the amount of revenue that's go would likely move, you know, from the whales that are driving, you know, the app economy, uh, game economy. I, I think it would be super significant. So, you know, like the rule of thumb is like what four percent conversion in the U.S. You know, and five the top five percent represent sixty percent of the revenue, right? Let's let's say that's a rule of thumb. Like, I think you could get the majority of that five percent, right? And then a, a significant portion, some portion of the rest, right? And so I don't know. I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but it's like I think that they will build the incentives, and I think they have the incentive to do that, right? It just uh, saves them. Yeah. Okay. But, but so, but still, I mean, you're talking about one. So, so games only, really, and you're talking about some small percentage of of game developers or early even games that could pull this off because they're like a known quantity and they have a huge user base, right? And they're they're a brand, right? Now you, you think about like any so put Supercell aside because Supercell is a very specific company with a very specific example. Like name, can, I mean, I don't know that I can name twenty of those companies that could pull that off, right? And then even then, you're still talking about like a tiny sliver of the user base that's that's that is spending we, we, these massive amounts of money. I know we have this debate. We've had this debate before, but like if eighty percent of the revenue is being driven by the top twenty publishers, right? I- wouldn't, wouldn't every one of those publishers do that? Yeah, like, like if I basically just sort the App Store by revenue and we can look back at App Annie data for just how concentrated revenue is, it's still pretty concentrated. So if I just go down that, that list of top publishers, starting with Tencent, starting with Epic, yeah, they definitely would do a 20% off. And, and it might take do, but it might take whales. time. By the way, it might take a lot of time for them to execute against it. But it's just the threat of that would destroy Apple, right? Absolutely, like destroy them. This is like the uh, the FIFA Super League thing. Like when they were talking about like the top top teams would leave and set up their own franchise uh, versus the Champions League. Are you talking yeah, about like, that? Look, look, like Tencent, absolutely. Niantic, absolutely. Roblox, Mioho, King. Well, Super no, but, 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 Ro- but yeah, but consider- Roblox already has web-based yep. payments, right? I mean, it's like a lot of, it's, look, it's Supercell, look, but, but Supercell- I can keep going down that list and I yeah, can pick up. I know, but, but, but I don't know. I don't, I just, first of all, I, I, I disagree with the premise. I disagree that there's like, okay, I put a separate monetization or I put a separate storefront in my game. Right. And it's just a separate, uh, you've got to add your, you've got to add your credit card number in there. And like, I can disc, I, I suppose I could discount it. You know, first of all, I don't know what kind of rules are going to apply there, but I suppose let's say that you could discount it. First of all, if you discount it, you know, 
these prices are set at like the sort of optimal price point. Right. So, I mean, like, again, the consumer from the consumer's perspective, like, yeah, like if you, of course, if you discount it, that's ideal, but that might not be ideal for the developer. Right. You might just be getting everybody who is going to buy anyway. Now they're just paying less. Right. Yeah, and they're so paying, they're paying less, but net to you is the same. Right. If not better. Well, well definitely no, better. No, but you just, you just drop the price down. Yeah. But 20% versus losing 30% on the net. Well, no, but you so yeah, but you lost you lost two thirds of so that if you think about that whole, you lost two thirds of it and you gained one third. Yeah, yeah but that's the initial one, right? I mean, you don't, that's just to bring them in, right? Bring them in the fold, put the credit card, and, and and actually inputting credit card information with Google Pay and other other systems out there is actually relatively seamless compared to what it was like even a few years ago. But anyway, besides that point, it's like I I know from the consumer perspective that like they are a Clash of Clans player. They are a Roblox player. They are a Call of Duty player, right? They're not like, and they may go from app to app, but fundamentally, if they're spending lots of money in there, they're in it. They're they're engaged, right? And so they're going to do what's best for them. You know, they they don't have any loyalty to Apple. They have loyalty to the the, the game itself. You know, and so that's the way. That's the the behavior that you see across all the ecosystem. You know, wh whether it's World of Warcraft or or Fortnite or Call of Duty. But I think. But going no, back but I, to Supercell I, and Epic and applying that to other developers, right? I think there's also an incentive to say, look, Supercell ID is a strong platform for Supercell, right? Getting players to log in with their email to an external service that they can then do customer uh, relationships with, emails to, and then on top of that, store their credit card information so that in the game, they can now advertise it versus right now that Supercell system, they have to keep it completely separate on a website. I think there will be an a absolute increase in adoption to that other service, right? And that'll be very much focused on these top games. So I, I don't see any top developer that wouldn't consider adding a discount for higher currency system it just seems like such a no-brainer. Yeah, but I, again, I'm not saying that you wouldn't do it. Of course, you would do it. I'm not, I'm not saying that that the, the uh, Super is already doing it, yeah. right? And I'm not, I'm not saying yeah, yes, there would be some conversion there. But I'm saying like the default status is just so much easier and so much you know more compelling. I think than having. I mean, I think I think you guys are are underestimating uh, the amount of friction that exists in having to input your credit card in to do anything. Right, because if, if that was like fairly frictionless, then all games would be doing web-based onboarding in the first place. Like no but, games but, do web-based onboarding. Right, right, but okay, I, I, I'm with you. First of all, there's there's no incentive. Well, okay. I mean, we're starting to see like the, the social casino guys do that, like Playtica, right? They're moving all the people to web, right? So they're just taking their whales and, and sending them over to web with using incentives, right? But if they could do that within the app, which is absolutely completely frictionless with the exception of entering your credit card, I agree, then I think that would make sense. You you would run live ops saying, hey, buy from our store and get this plus this, right? Or you could buy from iTunes and buy shit, right? You know, like it's not hard. That's I don't think that's hard, dude. I, I really don't. Not well, not for the not for the top spenders, right? The I, I hear the you but, that matter. I hear you, but but if it was so if, but if there was like I think you, you have to kind of look at why aren't more people doing it at all now? Because I think there's just it just doesn't work. I mean, I've you know I know so many game no, developers that have but, tried it, but no, because Apple, top player, Apple no, will no, come you, down on you. Like they won't. Apple, no, oh, you can come do on. it. If you just can't. You can't link to it in the app. But you could you could email your players and be like, hey, you know what? If you want to buy a, a package of coins, you can. No, no, but email doesn't work, right? Email's always been is is been a tough system to like engage your customers, right? You could you could drive ad, you could drive people to to the web with ads, right? Like just no one does it because it doesn't work. The yeah. the the added the added just the added just just, just, just destroys a conversion funnel. No, but that's a different sort of friction. <laughs> that's a completely different sort of friction. Yes, I I know I know it is, I I know it is, but still, like if the, but the 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 upside is so much greater, right? If the upside was so much greater, given the friction, I know that there's multiple friction points involved with driving people to the web, right? And it, it's gonna be it's gonna be less less of those if you ha are able to do it in the app. But I still think trying to get someone's credit card information, especially for a new player, right? Yeah, these existing massive franchises, yes, they'll do it, and they'll they are doing it. But I think like, if, but then, then they're alone. They stand alone. There's still going to be that competitive issue of like, you're not enabling new games, right? To, to grow into big franchises as a result of this, right? The competitive landscape is set. It's established. Again, it, that's why five years ago, this would have totally changed everything. Now it's like, okay, well, Supercell is going to get 30% more money. 
Right. And that, that, that's why it, it benefits the big. All these things benefit the big and destroy the small, right? Like uh, being an entrepreneur in this business is freaking tough. It's going to be even tougher, right? I mean, I, no matter what happens, that's going to be the case. But all right, we'll move on because I think we're out of time. But I, I think it's a good debate to have. But, it's, but you know, we'll see what, it, what, what, what evolves from all this nonsense. Anything else that you guys want to <laughs> finish up with? Mr. Adam, it's a good, it's a good debate. Good um, debate, Miska, yeah. Miska was just sleeping in the back. No, I wasn't <laughs> sleeping. I was, I was listening. Uh, and the, the whole super, supercell thing is actually interesting because they do have their own store, and people don't know it. Like they, they sell battle passes. They sell everything from their online store, so you get yeah. a significant discount. But, but if you can now actually advertise it in the game. I, I don't think you can advertise it in the game. No, no, but. no, not right now, but I'm saying after this legislation. Because yeah. I'm assuming the whole debate is, is, is talking about after the legislation. So if yeah. the legislation unlocks the ability to advertise in the game, yeah. then obviously adoption will go up and obviously revenue in Supercell's pocket will go up. Yeah, and, so, and to take some of your notes away, I mean, I think this is was Sweeney's endgame, right? Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. you... You, you bring it out to the surface and say, hey, this shit's unfair. The judge in the case says this is obviously unfair. And these idiots in Congress and, and, and senators can totally get this, right? It just feels unfair that Apple and Google are getting 30% of revenue on an ongoing basis. It, it doesn't make logical sense, right? And so anybody can understand that. My, my, a 10-year-old can understand that. And so the, again, wagons circling, right? You know, this is unfair practice by Apple for a decade, but everyone's been held, you know, you know, with gun to their head that if they do any of this type of activity, they're going to get shut down, right? Which they can't do. And so anyway, I think it is going to be an interesting six to 12 months and for Apple and, and the rest of the ecosystem. And there's going to be a lot of great trading involved in this too. <laughs> no. You're stock chip picker. So we'll see what happens. All right. On that note, right, guys. like, share, comment. What do you think about the debate and so forth? See you every see everybody on next week. Hear everybody on next week. We're out. Bye. Uh-huh.